1: women who have PCOS are misdiagnosed, and it takes on average at least three different doctors that someone has to see before receiving a diagnosis, and that could be over two years before she's diagnosed, if Mm -hmm. not longer.
0: Welcome to the Less Stressed Life podcast. This is your host, Krista Bigler, private practice integrative nutritionist, helping people across the U.S. reverse digestive issues, eczema, and autoimmunity via phone and video consult. To learn more, visit lessstressednutrition.com. Now, on to the show. Okay, today on The Less Stressed Life, we have Angela Grassi. So I ran into Angela a month or two ago. We were at this national food conference, just bumped into her. Fortunately, she had her name tag on because I know her by name, but not by um, face. And so I uh, I ran into her and thought, oh my gosh, here's this famous PCOS nutritionist. So we had this lovely chat and she agreed to come on today. And really, thank you, Angela, for filling this gap in society. Because Angela is the founder of the PCOS Nutrition Center, where she provides It's evidence-based nutrition information and coaching to women with PCOS, polycystic ovarian um, syndrome. So Angela is the author of several books on PCOS, including PCOS, The Dietitian's Guide, the PCOS Workbook, Your Guide to Complete Physical and Emotional Health, the PCOS Nutrition Center Cookbook and uh and more honestly she's recognized by today's dietitian as one of the top 10 incredible dietitians making a difference so true she's past recipient of the outstanding nutrition entrepreneur award and many many other awards so having pcos herself angela has been so such a tireless dedicated advocate to the education and research of the syndrome so so excited to talk about this today thank you and welcome angela well thank you so much Krista and we
1: did literally just bump into each other at Fancy didn't we <laughs> yeah it was
0: super fun though we got to have like a great little masterminding session it was good it was really fantastic I know. Love it. we'll we'll redo that here soon so today let's talk PCOS which is really your jam and yes. for someone who doesn't know how PCO, what PCOS is tell us the impact first of all tell us exactly what it is and how common this condition is
1: Sure. So PCOS stands for polycystic ovary syndrome. And believe it or not, even though it encompasses ovary in the name, it's actually a endocrine disorder with reproductive consequences.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's very common. It affects at least one in 10 women of childbearing ages. But we now know that PCOS exists lifelong throughout a woman's lifespan. And to diagnose it, right now it's an agreed upon criteria that states that you have PCOS if you have at least two of the following three criteria. And the first is if you have irregular periods. So a key part of PCOS is that those who have it tend to have high levels of androgens. So androgens are male hormones. And all women have male hormones. They all have testosterone, just like all men have estrogen. It's just typically we see high levels of androgens and testosterone in women with PCOS. Mm -hmm. So what happens is when you have high levels of testosterone, that affects your um, ratio of other female sex hormones, the ones that control your menstrual cycle. Mm Mm-hmm. So typically, those who have PCOS will have irregular, absent periods because of this hormonal imbalance. So t- sometimes they won't get their periods at all, like for years. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they can get it every couple of months. Some might get their period twice a month, which is awful. Mm-hmm. But that is one of the main criteria: is if you have irregular, or absent menstrual cycles. So eight or less cycles a year.
0: Okay. Then so that's
1: criteria number one. Criteria number two is if you have signs of the high androgens. Mm. So either on blood tests, they could do a total testosterone or a free testosterone. And if those come back high, that's one of the criteria. And they can also look at clinical signs if you have it. So signs of having the higher androgens could be acne, cystic acne, not just on the face, but on the back and other parts of the body. Hair loss, alopecia, is a common sign of this. And then excess hair growth. So body hair growth. And it's typically in the central part of the body. So if you think of like the lip area, chin area, between the breasts, belly button, and inner thighs. So even if the blood tests don't come back, that you have high androgens, they can still look at clinical signs. Hmm.
0: Okay. So that's
1: criteria number two. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay. Irregular periods, less than eight per year, and then signs of androgens, which are body hair growth or high free testosterone, right?
1: Free or total. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. And then the third is they can sometimes do an ultrasound, a transvaginal ultrasound, and they can actually look at the ovaries. And what they're looking at is to see if they have what's called a string of pearls, a classic. Um, they almost look like little pearls in a row, like a, a necklace. And they're actually not cysts at all, which is crazy because it's called polycystic ovary syndrome. Mm. But they're actually really tiny, immature follicles that never grew, never matured and got released to be fertilized.
0: Mm. Because they didn't have the right balance of other hormones to trigger them to be released, right? Exactly. So then what do they do? Yeah. So
1: they just hang out there pretty much on your ovaries. They're different from those large cysts that rupture. So that's something else. And women with PCOS can get those large cysts. Um, But the follicles are just, you know, pretty much there. They can go away. But they are just another criteria to
0: diagnose PCOS. So how do you feel about this set of diagnostic criteria? I was reading not too long ago, someone was kind of on a soapbox about how ultrasound is not enough to diagnose PCOS. And so basically, what she's saying is if you have an ultrasound and it shows a string of pearls, when this is exactly what you said, it's not enough because you have to have two of the three signs, right? So you can have a string of pearls, but if you don't have facial hair or body hair or a free, higher or free, um, free or total testosterone, it's a no go. Right? Something like that.
1: Exactly. And PCOS is really a condition of exclusion, that we have to rule out any other medical conditions that might cause some of these symptoms.
0: Mm-hmm. It feels like we're just describing a hormonal imbalance, right? Doesn't it kind of just feel like that? As you describe I'm I like, mean, I feel like that's what you're describing.
1: It, that's what it is. That's what it is. And like I said, it's an agreed upon criteria. There's still so much we don't know about PCOS. And so many, perhaps in the future, different ways that we can test it, like we know, for example, those who have PCOS have high AMH levels, anti-malarian hormone levels, even past menopause, those levels are high. So could that, you know, in the future be one of the diagnostic tools? What
0: does that level mean?
1: That means there's a lot of follicles.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, it feels like there's a lot that could still be... through PCOS. So let's talk about the other conditions that sometimes get, I think it sounds to me like PCOS, from what I've heard, it sounds like PCOS gets misdiagnosed or it doesn't get diagnosed. How long does it take to get diagnosed for on average, right? Doesn't it take maybe a while to get appropriate diagnosis? And then what are some other common coexisting things that happen?
1: Sure. Yeah. So most women who have PCOS are misdiagnosed and it takes on average at least three different doctors, that someone has to see before receiving a diagnosis, and that could be over two years before she's diagnosed, if Mm -hmm. not longer. Mm -hmm. Got it. So this needs to change, absolutely. And PCOS is associated with a ton of other health risks. I mean, we can look at the physical ones, like metabolic stuff, like insulin resistance is present in the majority of people who have PCOS, We see dyslipidemia, so high triglycerides and um, low levels of HDL, the the so-called good cholesterol. Mm -hmm. We see a higher incidence of fatty liver disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Mm -hmm. We see more thyroid issues, either um, Hashimoto's or hypothyroid is more common. And then we see, of course, the infertility that... PCOS is the leading cause of ovulatory infertility. Mm -hmm. And then there's all the emotional sides of it that we do see higher rates of anxiety and depression as well as eating
0: disorders. Mm -hmm. Because of maybe some weight instability? Like why do people have eating disorders? Is it because of your craving? I I hear you say like sugar stuff, right? That's what it Mm -hmm. feels like. It's like sugar or blood sugar imbalance is what I hear, which can make you feel... I could could really make you yo-yo, right? When your blood sugar is imbalanced, which so many people deal with, whether there's a diagnosis there or not, we've, I mean, I, I was born with, you know, my mom had gestational diabetes with me, meaning I was kind of predetermined to have always kind of blood sugar. I always felt like I had blood sugar roller coasters until I figured out how to control it. Um, and so I understand those emotions, um, and I can see where that comes from, but why do you think that coexists so much with eating disorders?
1: Yeah, well, they made the connection with PCOS and insulin resistance in the mid 1990s. So there's still so much to learn about it. But we know that people who have PCOS have high levels of insulin, and mm-hmm. insulin is an appetite stimulant. Mm-hmm. And it can definitely affect mood, you know, that hangry term, and Mm -hmm. you probably feel it if you don't manage your blood sugar well, your blood sugar drops, you get really that low blood sugar, and you need the carbs to bring Mm -hmm. up your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. And I find that in general, carb cravings are something that a lot of women experience with PCOS. And Mm -hmm. here they are, they tend to gain weight um, pretty rapidly and have difficulty losing weight because of this high... Um, insulin level and they're trying to control it and it's really difficult to change their weight with PCOS. And so they try maybe not to eat
0: mm-hmm. oh, and
1: no. uh, then it leads to binges.
0: Right. Yeah. That's not the way to fix things. No one, I mean, yeah. it, you're not supposed to be hungry. We're not supposed to be hungry people. So uh, we have to feed ourselves. So yeah, uh, it sounds like blood sugar stuff, hormone imbalance, right? So well, then what's, tell me about conventional treatment and then let's talk about nutritional treatments. Yeah. Um, if if we're thinking PCOS like what's common if you come in and you finally get a diagnosis i wonder actually first what happens before the PCOS diagnosis i wonder how women are treated when they're misdiagnosed and what they get as well
1: uh, well typically if it's you don't have regular periods just take the pill mhm you know take birth control and that's always been the first line of approach for PCOS But the problem is the pill just is a band-aid. It's Mm -hmm. not going to cure infertility. It's not going to get to the underlying issues. Mm -hmm. And if anything, we know that the pill increases triglycerides and cholesterol and C-reactive protein levels. So Mm -hmm. it may not be the best choice Mm -hmm. for people who have this. Mm -hmm. Um, Metformin is another first line approach for PCOS to target the insulin resistance. And some people who take metformin do find it regulates their cycles and can bring down um, cholesterol and insulin. So that's another treatment. But the main treatment approach for PCOS is lifestyle changes.
0: Mm -hmm. But let's talk about that. There's a huge, huge opportunity here. But do you think people are getting referred because you don't have time to talk huge lifestyle changes in a seven minute doctor's appointment?
1: Right. Right. Or the doctor might say, go do South Beach or go do, you know, cut out. I've heard of everything. Right. (laughs) Depending on the doctor. This is a
0: travesty, Angela. This is a problem, obviously. I mean, there's no, I I know it's your soapbox, but I'm over here like getting not really angry, but kind of getting like, gosh, I'm glad we're talking about this because it really unravels all the gaps. It's like, oh, this is terrible.
1: And like I said, PCOS continues throughout a woman's whole life cycle, you know, Mm. so nutrition And lifestyle are the best way to develop sustainable, healthy uh, changes that can really optimize their health. I mean, women who have this are at increased risk for type 2 diabetes if insulin's not managed. So, you know, it's really important, especially early on in life, to develop these good lifestyle behaviors.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think there's such an aptitude for improvement. So I, um, I really, I didn't, I didn't try to be working with PCOS before. I, I would say about the time I met you, I had a client coming in that, that had PCOS. I think I've got a couple currently. And she is so much fun because we made crazy, like, improvement in such a short amount of time. She just needed the tools to do it. I mean, it was That's bonkers. Right. It was, like, 65% improvement in, like, two weeks or something like that. That's in all, awesome. Your like, total symptoms. I mean, but there's so it's so fun because there's, like, all these things that we can still, like, we're just – Scratching the surface on how awesome she's going to feel, right? Like, yeah, leveling out blood sugars and making it so she's not hungry. I mean, there's just, it's so much fun. As I hear you talk about this woman, I'm like, oh my gosh, my heart goes out to her because there is so much we can do to make this so much better, isn't there? Absolutely. And lifestyle is the way to go. Okay. So let's talk about some lifestyle pearls. If you had someone coming to you, like, you know, what would be the first thing you would say to someone? "Um, Of course, this is. this is, you know, a whole long thing, but what's the first thing, one or two things you would have someone do?
1: Probably I would have them eat more regular meals and regular balanced meals. So carbs, protein, and fat at every meal, not skipping meals. If they need a snack, go ahead and have a snack that also has that combination. And focusing more on the low GI foods. So those are high fiber, low sugar foods. They get digested slowly. So they slowly raise glucose and insulin. Mm -hmm. And by doing so, that can dramatically reduce cravings and help to stabilize those blood sugar levels.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So you talked about how metformin is often a first line of defense in addition to the pill. I have Yeah, I have another comment about the pill, but because it's just something I've become more passionate about recently as I've been studying and working through hormones. I feel like the real feminist movement um, about women is being empowered and understanding your body and understanding hormones, not the... Um, ability, whether you take a pill or not, right? It's like, oh, really understanding my body is true is truly being a woman, right? And truly being empowered. Um, that's just like my, my exactly right.
1: And again, we the pill is this. just
0: a band aid. We deserve, um, you know, it, it's just a bummer. Like we just don't have the opportunity. We don't know where to find that information sometimes, and once you do start finding it, you're like, where has this been all my life? So I could understand this body that I am living in, right? So um, it's just it's really empowering. So I if nothing else, (laughs) please, please take that thought. But let's talk about metformin. So metformin is a medication that's commonly used as a first line defense, when blood sugars get imbalanced in pre diabetes, or even early diabetes. So really insulin resistance, right? Insulin is that hormone that is made, um, pushed out. So to help carbohydrates be basically utilized by our body, right, in short. And so same type of thing happening with these blood sugar imbalances and PCOS. So we're given metformin. What are the side effects of metformin and what are some things that we could be doing instead? Because we have have things from nature that could be more useful than metformin. Would that be correct or do you? Right. Well,
1: it depends on the individual. I mean, some people are pretty insulin resistant and they respond well to the metformin and Mm -hmm. that's fine. And it can decrease the risk for diabetes and can help with the insulin resistance part. And like I said, some people do um, regulate their cycles on it. So it can help with fertility if that's a consideration for some. Um, But the side effects of metformin is that it causes in some people a lot of GI problems. So diarrhea, needing to use the bathroom immediately after eating. We do see this with Uh, eating carbs that are more high glycemic index so that they don't have much fiber and they tend to enter the bloodstream right away. And that's metformin working to do its job kind of to block the carbs from the system. Mm -hmm. And so it does cause some GI disturbances. There is an extended release version that's tolerated a little bit better than the standard metformin. Um, another big side effect of metformin is that it can affect B12 absorption, mm. vitamin B12. And that, as you know, as a dietitian, it's a. Um, really crucial vitamin. And if it's low, it can cause significant, almost permanent nerve damage and Mm -hmm. can affect mood. Mm -hmm. So a lot of doctors aren't looking at that. They're prescribing metformin, but
0: they're not checking the B12 levels. And it's so important. Yeah, that is a fantastic um, big bullet. Let's put a flag right here because your doctor doesn't have a lot of micronutrients. He can test, but he can test B12 and he should. And I would say that's probably the most, probably half of the people I see in practice are deficient in B12, at least, I mean, because I run a fair amount of micronutrient testing. And honestly, some of the really terrible ones, you hear it on the phone when they call, they sound like they're getting plowed through life, like you don't have any energy, right? And then it really coexists with depression. I've got one lady, if she doesn't, when she is due for her B12 shot, she's had this problem for so long, like you said, I know there's some other nerve system issues, etc. But basically, When it's time for her B12 shot, um, and there's many ways to do B12 and that's a whole nother discussion, but um, she just, she's like a mess. (laughs) She's a mess before she gets it, you know? And so it's it's critical. But imagine what can happen if you don't do this, right? So if you don't know your B12, what's going to happen? You know, what are you going to feel like? And then you're going to go do other things, right? You're you're exhausted. So you're going to drink coffee all the time or something else or just think it's normal to be stupid exhausted, right? Yeah.
1: Well, the thing is, and I spoke on this, I actually spoke at the Androgen Excess and PCOS Society meeting at Harvard about B12 and metformin. And even there's a great book out there called Could It Be B12? Mm -hmm. Because the reference range says that even like between 200 and 300 is still quote normal Mm -hmm. but this book and a lot of the research out there shows that deficiency symptoms can start to occur
0: at levels under 600. Oh nice interesting so thank you for sharing that so let's talk about some other people that could also be I think it's important since we're talking about this who are some other people that you think can be really affected by B12 and then if I think of anyone else I'll add to it as well.
1: Oh, well, definitely people who, anybody who takes Metformin, but it's, Metformin's the most common diabetes medication. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's also called glucophage, glumetza, fortimet. These are all forms of B12. And then vegans, of course, mm-hmm. need to supplement their diet with B12.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And then gastric bypass, I see, because they have a smaller yep. um, they have a smaller surface area in which to absorb it. So B12 requires some things to be absorbed, um, and so that's kind of tricky. And then some people absorb different varieties of B12, or they don't they don't activate it super well um, is a possibility. So there's some genetic things possibly. So anyway. Um, gastric bypass is a big one for me anyone who's had kind of long-term gut issues should be assessed anyone who's got kind of like acidy reflux and things like that i think that that always kind of coexists with some of those same b12 problems so if you are crazy fatigued please get your b12 checked (laughs) um it can really make a huge difference um it can it's so anyway we hate for people to be feeling like crap when it's something that simple micronutrients can help right exactly yeah okay cool so let's t- let's review here what we've got and then where we're going so we talked about important um the diagnostic criteria for pcos which is two of the three you know irregular periods high androgens which would be women are supposed to have testosterone so this is i've been describing um hormones recently with personification so i'm having fun with this by saying the testosterone is sort of like your maintenance man you need him around but you don't need too much of him um so anyway uh high testosterone um signs of high Androgens, and then overall that classic string of pearls through ultrasound, and the immature follicles you said don't really do anything, and they're not cysts. You know, they're not really cis. right. Isn't
1: that surprising? Right. Yeah, so- they actually considered a name change to change PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, to something that represents more metabolic. Um, but then others are like, hey, PCOS is just starting to get recognized. You can't change the name now.
0: Yeah, that is tricky because you're exactly right. I feel like it's confused. I feel much clearer already in our conversation because you're so thoughtful in how you describe things. You're very streamlined and systematic. And so it feels so clear now. You know, I feel like when PCOS is talked about, it, it's always talked about kind of murky, like, like, oh, we don't totally get it, or it's always misdiagnosed, or it's just, you know, there's just, I feel like the evidence isn't, the information is not good, right? And you would probably right. concur with that completely. So, um, yeah, I, I get it. So how often do actual cysts coexist with polycystic ovarian syndrome? You know, I
1: don't know the statistic offhand, but we also have to consider that some people that have PCOS might also have endometriosis, Mm -hmm. and that might be associated with those cysts, too. So it's hard to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you bet.
0: Okay. Um, So let's talk about some emotions of PCOS and maybe some additional help that women with PCOS might need, some additional support that they need. Like, who should be on the PCOS women's care team and just overall medical team um, and talk us talk to us yeah just about those emotions as well
1: yeah so PCOS is such a difficult and frustrating condition to live with and it affects so many different aspects of life so you have the struggles with infertility so if someone's going through infertility you know it's an emotional roller coaster mhm so, sometimes getting a therapist on board or joining a support group for infertility can be really helpful. Um, we also see a lot of the symptoms with PCOS are uncontrollable and they're really, a lot of them are dermatological. So, it really affects body image and self esteem. So, again, therapy can be really effective. And then working with a knowledgeable dietitian who has experience with PCOS can be really beneficial.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just can't tell you how much you've inspired me already um, to feel like I have to do my part. I think we all need to do our part. And there are a lot of dietitians that listen to this podcast. Thank you. And um, so I mean, I think this is really this is the episode where it's like, wow, we could I mean, this is so common one in 10 women, we should all be doing our part more, we can all help with this so much more because of all the life. I mean, you're so much affected by the lifestyle factors, right? Right. And PCOS is
1: the most common endocrine disorder of women of childbearing ages.
0: Really? I did not know yes. that. Yes.
1: So I, and I, yeah, I became so passionate about it because and educating dietitians in particular, because I don't even remember learning about it. And I, you know, went on to get my master's after I got my bachelor's in nutrition. And I don't remember. It's the most common endocrine disorder. Why didn't I know more about this?
0: Well, I also find that really interesting because one of my best friends through um, college is a pharmacist. And I asked her one day about the most commonly prescribed drugs. And she said it is, I actually don't remember the second one now, but the first one is thyroid medication. And so I would have think that that would be the most common endocrine issue, right, is thyroid issues. So um, this is shocking. Like, you you know, we know how common thyroid issues are. So I'm, like, shocked that PCOS um, trumps this, essentially.
1: Right. And I think it's because it, it, you know, has that overlap. It's been always viewed as a um, reproductive problem.
0: And do you think that is also part of the stigma? Like, I feel that people aren't good. Like, we have so, there's so much we can do in in infertility reproduction all this in for PCOS but people don't want to talk about it yet right or we're just not completely there as a society yet where it's like it's not always the popular thing to talk about do you think that has anything to do with it or not really
1: Oh, absolutely. It it is. And, you know, it's a female condition. If this was a man,
0: Mm -hmm. man's
1: issue, (laughs) would it be getting more attention?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So something you said that kind of has me thinking, is you said, it's kind of like, you know, when we say someone, because we've all heard this, um, the thought is, and this is how we're trained, that once you have diabetes, you don't ever not have diabetes, like you now have that. But some people will say, oh, I cured my diabetes. Now, PCOS, you also said you have this for a lifetime. Tell me about that. So you're saying, because I think about it, and I think, okay, so if you correct bl- blood sugar imbalances, you take control of that, you really control, um, you understand how to manage the hormone levels and really kind of manipulate those as much as possible, Um You're saying that like once PCOS, always PCOS, um, how would you, how do you classify that? Like you can't get over it. Um, Tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that.
1: Right. So the important thing to know is that PCOS can totally be controlled and the symptoms can be controlled and you can live a healthy
0: life with it.
1: But there is no cure for
0: PCOS.
1: It is like having diabetes. Once you have it, it doesn't go away.
0: Mm -hmm. Got it. So if PCOS isn't controlled, this is where we start to see that uh, myriad of other conditions. Is that right? What else? What else happens when PCOS isn't controlled?
1: Right. So that you get all these symptoms. You get the mood. You get the infertility. And PCOS does not simply disappear as a woman enters menopause. This is this was something that people believed before, but now they're doing more research. And you know, there's doing research on people they studied 20 years ago, and they're following up with them now when they're in menopause. And they're seeing that their hormone levels, testosterone, is still high in menopause. Mm, Interesting. Eventually, it does come down, but Mm -hmm. it takes longer. They actually suspect that women with PCOS reach menopause a couple years later.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, So it does exist later in life. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So I know you focus a lot on lifestyle factors. But as far as testing in your own practice, um, sometimes we have testing options that I I feel they're sometimes more in depth or maybe even a little bit better than what we've got kind of available to us conventionally. Um, Is there hormone testing that do you commonly employ hormone testing in practice with your clients? Um, And if so, are you using Dutch or what are you finding useful um, in practice? Yeah. So
1: it really depends on the patient and the doctor. Some doctors are very thorough and they will run hormones. Um, Dutch, I have seen mixed results yet. I do see some usefulness of it. But I also, when I talk to other doctors, um, reproductive endocrinologists, they say there's still not enough validity to back up the Dutch testing Um, So, but it could be a useful tool in combination with other uh, blood levels of hormones. And then looking at the micronutrient levels too, because Mm -hmm. we do see across the board that women with PCOS are low in magnesium and zinc, and all of these can actually affect insulin resistance
0: Mm -hmm. yep makes perfect sense definitely some of the key ones very cool okay so we covered how pcos is diagnosed how it's mythically not about uh cysts at all crazy most common endocrine disorder um you know some of the cofactors, how it's commonly treated and how we can improve that treatment what else did we miss anything that we need to cover on pcos basics yeah, a couple things I would
1: add is when we talk about PCOS lifestyle, we're not just talking about nutrition. Mm-hmm. We're talking about there are some supplements that have been shown to really help women with PCOS take control um, and lower the insulin. Like one of my favorites is inositol.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Inositol is a B vitamin and it plays a role in insulin regulation and insulin signaling. And I'm seeing patients respond very well to supplementing with inositol and it helps to decrease those cravings Mm -hmm. because it's bringing down the insulin and it also helps to restore hormone balance. So for some just taking inositol can help to regulate their cycles and they don't need to take birth control.
0: Mm -hmm. How awesome, huh?
1: Yeah. And then just depending on their micronutrient levels, some do really well with magnesium and zinc for hair loss and for acne and um, other supplements that can really help improve fertility, like vitamin D. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, when we talk about nutrition, I, sometimes supplements, you know, really getting the nutrient levels up can be really effective. And then looking at other aspects of lifestyle, like are you active? Because mm-hmm. exercise plays a huge role in decreasing insulin and improving egg quality. And then we can't overlook the importance of sleep that healthy sleep hygiene is really important to keep Mm -hmm. levels in check and mood and managing stress, especially this time of year, Mm -hmm. you know, people are really stressed and the stress doesn't go away. So how can we manage this? So Mm -hmm. it doesn't increase our cortisol and uh, even more.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's, thank you for bringing that up because you're exactly right. You cannot out supplement stress and sleep. And if you cannot control this, I mean, there are things granted I mean, if you're having sleep disturbances, you can get help with this, right? Like, I mean, there's very commonly microbial dysbiosis, right? Because we have most of our hormones are made in our microbiome. So there's things that I frequently see when people have got different issues. They've got sleep disturbances. It's a very common symptom. Um, So there's lots we can do to work to resolve that. Um, But aside from that, if it's just you not going to bed, because I've been like, I'm having a problem this week where once I reach this point of no return, it's like, I can't get there it's just pathetic it's just stupid um it's good to have those bad times so that way you can turn it around and be like okay let's get back on the board here let's get yes. to bed and have good sleep <laughs> I yes. always, i'm not perfect right no one's perfect but we have to be more aware of things right awareness is where things start so if you're not yeah, aware
1: absolutely and me- you know melatonin um believe it or not can actually improve a quality
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> in people who are trying to get pregnant mm-hmm. and um can help with sleep, obviously. Mm-hmm. So
0: yeah, yeah, there's, there's ways to get help. You basically can't out supplement or out do, you I mean, you can't, you have to sleep, and you have to control stress. And I feel like this has been an accidental soapbox um, for me. I didn't. I never really feel like I'm a stress expert, but I feel like all the stressors in life are what's contributing to our poor health, um, like time and time and time again. And so that's really what this is about, like lowering the inflammation in life, right? And that gives us a big umbrella in which to talk about things. But um, you know, we ca- so commonly we walk around with subliminal stress, is what I call it. Like you don't even realize how stressed you are until you see the outward signs. After you start recognizing your body's whispers, you're like. Oh, I am more stressed than I think of this week. Um, so
1: absolutely, and that
0: inflammation—I
1: mean, daily living inflammation—and we see that inflammation worsens PCOS.
0: Absolutely, you mentioned some uh, nutrient patterns about um, about that can improve. PCOS, And they're the exact same obvious. Like, I just want to bridge this, bridge, tie this together. You know, I just wrote down nutrient patterns. So when I look at micronutrient results, it's really fun. So if you don't know someone, sometimes it's like fun to guess the problems that this person could have because it's really clear, right, when you look at it sometimes. And so I just wrote down patterns the other day about insulin resistance um, that included magnesium, zinc, vitamin D, and some others. And I, you know, we talked about this um, a month or two ago when we saw each other, but I was talking about how I – I love using chromium, and I see so much benefit in in um, blood sugar balance. And you're like, no, girl, inositol is where it's at. And well, and since then, of course, this is how it is. I see a lot more deficient in inositol. So I've with your um, with your uh, you inspired this. So I've been utilizing this more in practice. So we'll see how that how that goes. I'm expecting great results, of course. So anyway, oh great, thank you for sharing that with me as well. So very very fun. Um, lots lots to do there, and I mean, you just can't you. Sometimes you do need an ally or an advocate to help point out things that are obvious in life, right? Like such as the sleep stress, these other micro. I mean, your doctor is not going to pick up on micronutrient stuff, sorry. He's just not trained that way. So, um, sorry, it's just it's just reality. It's okay. You know, everyone's got their own training. It's fine. Um, but yeah. So, yeah, and all of these factors work together
1: to help mm-hmm. to decrease the inflammation and the insulin and restore hormone
0: balance. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, one question everyone gets. I feel like you did the most beautiful job talking basic PCOS. I hope that people reach out, write in questions, and we can have you back for a little encore. But if you had to leave people with a thought, like if people are listening to this and thinking, "Oh my gosh, I think this is me," or "Like my this is so my sister," like what's your gut reaction to tell them? What would you tell them them to do?
1: So first, exactly that. Trust your gut. And that's what led me and so many women to get a diagnosis is even if you've gone to doctors and you're like, I think I have this, test me for it. And they're like, no, you don't have it. Keep searching. Keep trusting your gut until you get the answers you need. And then the next is to get educated. Use reliable websites from Qualified healthcare professionals, registered dietitians, qualified physicians. Um, I have a workbook, the PCOS workbook, that is called uh, the PCOS workbook Your Guide to Complete Physical and Emotional Health, that walks you through all these different aspects of your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to get help, to reach out, to get nutrition coaching, um, and to get the right doctor that you
0: trust. And I can vouch, I have all of Angela's resources, I think I have the whole suite of them now, and they're fantastic, and the, I remember specifically wanting the workbook for those lifestyle um Worksheets. Like there's some really good stuff in there, like prompts and things. So it's really beautiful in that way, um, for sure. And I, it was so rude of me. We didn't talk about your story. And I think it's good to maybe summarize that really quick. I mean, there's a reason you're passionate about this. Your story was not easy. You had trouble getting diagnosed. I mean, and you trusted your gut and just kept, you pushed hard for this. I know I read your bio somewhere.
1: (laughs) Right. And I, you know, I was already educated about PCOS because I started to see patients with it. And then out of the blue, I gained about, maybe 35 pounds in just three months, Mm
0: -hmm. just
1: out of the blue, still working out. You know, I really like to work out. So that's never been an issue and no changes in my eating. And then all of a sudden, all these um, pimples, all these zits started to pop up around my chin. I'm like, what is this? And went to about three different doctors and no one could tell me. They just said, watch your diet was one of my favorite responses from a doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, another one was just like, you have hypoglycemia. Um, so no one could really tell me. And it wasn't until I saw a fantastic specialist in Philadelphia, Dr. Catherine Sharif, uh, who's a great friend of mine who diagnosed me Mm -hmm. with West. She knew which labs to run and we ordered the ultrasound and, um, got diagnosed, but, you know, totally educated myself. Because again, I don't remember learning much about it in school. And I would tell other dietitians that I have it and I'm starting to see more patients with it. And they would look at me like a deer in the headlights. Mm-hmm. Like, what is PCOS?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. i well, like, it's
1: the most common endocrine disorder.
0: Like, how can we not know enough about it? Well, that's what I mean. Your site is really, when you talk about going to reputable sites, I mean, Angela has pretty much one of the most premier sites on PCOS in regards to nutrition. I mean, she has the one, the the one, um, and we can all step our game up and, and, and fill in some gaps. <laughs> she doesn't have to bear the brunt of this on her shoulders, but thank you so much for being such a pioneer. Um, I know that through our own struggles, sometimes it's really what helps us change the world. So um, I know that your struggles were not in vain, and so I really appreciate appreciate you paying that forward um, and making sure that this is something that's getting out there and being such a tireless advocate for it. Um, I think that, you know, people now have the things that they need if they want to go to their doctor and ask for um, appropriate diagnostic criteria if you're, if you're speaking to them. So if nothing else we've given them, I hope we've empowered our listeners for that.
1: Absolutely. And knowing this, the signs and symptoms associated with this.
0: Yeah. So Angela, where can people find you online? And I think you had a guide um, that you wanted to give the listeners.
1: Yeah, feel free to visit the PCOS Nutrition Center. And the website is simply pcosnutrition.com. Okay. And you can go there and you can download I have a free guide to eating well with PCOS there. And I have resources like the books and supplements and resources for healthcare professionals and dieticians as well.
0: Cool. That is awesome. Excellent. Perfect for this audience. Um, Thank you so much for joining me today, for giving us your time. We really appreciate it. And um, can't wait till we talk again. Absolutely. Thanks so much.